Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, going to rip off several verses right there at the top of that chapter. And you'll be helped tremendously by following along in that passage and in all the other passages that we'll be studying from today as we spend these next few minutes in the Word of God. It is great to see everybody this beautiful, well, maybe not so as beautiful as normal on a spring day, but it is a beautiful day because it is the Lord's Day. I'm glad that you've chose to be here today, uh, even on a holiday weekend. We have some of our folks that are traveling and in other places, but uh, we have folks who are visiting with us that are passing through, and we appreciate your presence today and hope that you find everything today to be done in spirit and in truth and that you're encouraged by our worship with one another. If you'd like to prepare yourselves a little bit for this evening's sermon, maybe speak Spend a couple of minutes this afternoon reading Romans the seventh chapter. That is a chapter that can be sometimes complicated just on reading, but I think that'll help you a little bit as we prepare to study from Romans chapter seven tonight at six o'clock. Right now, though, it's Ecclesiastes chapter two. I'm reading here beginning in verse number one. Solomon says this, Ecclesiastes two, and in verse one, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was vanity. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered also for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. And so I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward. Then I considered, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. It was a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Well, now that school is out and summer has kind of unofficially began, I'm guessing that it will not be long before moms and dads everywhere are going to hear those dreaded words from their kids, I'm so bored. I'm bored. There's not anything to do around here. What am I supposed to do all summer? I'm so bored. And then, of course, once it turns fall and school starts back and we ask our kids, hey, how'd it go today at school? What are they going to say? Oh, it was so boring. School is such a bore. It seems that with a lot of kids, boredom is a never-ending cycle. It's just all year round. But the truth of the matter is, boredom is not just a problem for kids. I know lots of adults that struggle with boredom. And I hope I'm not taking any liberties with the text that we just read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 when I say that Solomon was saying, I'm kind of bored. I did a lot of stuff. 
I had the capacity and the means to try all kinds of things. I did a little bit of this, did a little bit of that, tried some of this, tried some of that. At the end of all of that, at the end of the day, it was just, yeah, it was just kind of boring. In fact, we could probably go through Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and we could just plug in our own hobbies and our own activities, our own recreational pursuits, our own toys and games and things that we occupy our time with and I think we'd come to the same conclusion, yeah. People just get bored. Get bored with life. That listless, wore down, apathetic, I don't care about anything, I don't really want to do anything feeling of boredom, I think that affects all of us at some point or another. In many ways, it actually seems as if there is a plague of boredom stretched across our land. Think about just in the last year here in our country. When we were on lockdown and in quarantine because of the coronavirus, lots of people got really, really bored sitting at home. What am I supposed to do all day just sitting here? A recent survey actually found that 54% of Americans, they go to work primarily to escape the boredom of life at home. Wow. Another survey found that two out of every three high school students agreed with this statement, I am bored in class Every day. Boredom affects lots of areas of our lives. It affects our homes. It affects our relationships. It affects our productivity. It affects our attitudes. It affects even our walk with God. Stop and think about it. When you think about the joyful life that Christians have been given and are expected to live, when you think about the contentment that we are supposed to find in serving Christ Jesus, somehow, in some way, it seems kind of out of character for Christians to have this kind of, oh well, life is underwhelming, life is unsatisfied, I'm so bored sort of attitude. And yet even as I say all of that, who here treats boredom as if it were a legitimate spiritual problem? I'm going to guess if I went around the room and I asked you, what is it that you struggle with? What is it is is the kinds of things that you find difficult in your spiritual life? I doubt very many of us, if any at all, would say, you know what, boredom. Boredom is a real problem for me. And yet the Bible this morning is going to say emphatically that boredom is a spiritual problem. It can be. And that's why this morning I do want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the problem of boredom and our battle with it. Now, I certainly get the irony of a sermon on boredom, particularly when preachers are very, very guilty of building up and propagating and contributing to the very problem that I am trying to speak on this morning. But I hope this morning that I'm not going to bore you with this sermon, but instead I'm hoping that I will provoke you to think very, very carefully about boredom and about what it is that we put into life, and what it is that we are expecting to get out of life. And even though this particular tool of the devil probably isn't nearly as well-known or as notorious as some others like greed or lust, some of the big-name temptations, I assure you this morning nonetheless that we need to take very seriously the damage that the devil can do whenever he leads people into boredom. And so I want to begin that by talking about just some of the dangers with boredom. And I want to be very clear right out of the gate that boredom in and of itself is not necessarily sinful. 
If you've ever been bored in your life, you don't necessarily need to repent of that. I cannot produce a verse in the Bible that says, Verily, verily, thou shalt not ever be bored. That verse doesn't exist. However, I can say some other things. I can say first and foremost that boredom, boredom is often a gateway to sin. That's exactly what a young lady by the name of Diana Humphreys from Houston, Texas found out. Diana Humphreys was a 16-year-old girl who found that the routine of everyday living left her tired and weary and just bored. And so, she told police, to escape the boredom, she ambushed and then murdered her 14-year-old brother with a rifle. When asked by police, why did you do that? She responded, because nothing exciting ever happens around here. Here's her full quotation. She said, everyone in my family was always getting up, going to work, coming home, cooking meals, eating, washing dishes, going to bed, getting up again. I couldn't stand it. I wanted to kill everyone as quickly as possible so that we wouldn't have to suffer anymore. She was actually prepared to murder her entire family and even herself in order to escape from her boredom. Now, now I'm not saying this morning that if you get bored, you're liable to turn around with a rifle and start killing people. That's not what I'm suggesting. But it certainly does illustrate for us, maybe in a very profound way, the kind of danger that boredom can lead people into. It can lead us into other temptations which then lead to sin. Have you ever heard of gateway drugs? Gateway drugs are those drugs that oftentimes a a person first begins to use that maybe seems to be kind of innocent, kind of innocuous. Marijuana is often referred to as a gateway drug. Seems kind of harmless, doesn't seem like it's going to be that big of a problem, only to find out that it then leads in to other drugs, harder drugs, more harmful drugs, more dangerous drugs. I'm suggesting today that we maybe ought to think about boredom as being a gateway to sin. That it can lead to all kinds of iniquity. I'm bored, someone says. So I had an affair and I committed adultery. I even wonder sometimes if that's maybe what led to David when he was out walking that evening on the roof of the palace and he saw and then he lusted and then he acted in adultery with Bathsheba. Or I'm bored. And so I started surfing around on the internet and before you know it, I was viewing online pornography. I'm bored. So I went down to the movies and I just watched whatever was showing even though that movie was completely godless and opposed the values of the kingdom of God. I was bored. So I sat around and texted with people or talked on the phone with people and we gossiped and we meddled in other people's business. In fact, look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul actually addresses that one specifically. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul talks here about younger widows in the church and the kinds of problems they can get themselves into. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says in verse 13, look at the principle here. 1 Timothy 5 verse 13, he says, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. It just seems that whenever we are idle and bored, the fastest way out, the easiest way out of boredom, oftentimes involves doing things things that are wrong. 
Have you ever heard the expression, the devil's tattoo? Some of you that are older may remember that expression, the devil's tattoo. That's when someone is sitting around and just fidgeting their fingers, tapping their fingers, doing maybe kind of a drum tap with their fingers or maybe even with their foot, doing that out of boredom. It was often said that that was the devil's tattoo and the reason for that is because the idea was that you're doing that to summon up the devil. Because anybody who is bored, they usually end up in some kind of trouble. Look with me in Romans the 13th chapter. In Romans chapter 13, listen to the admonition that Paul gives there in Romans 13 and in verse 11. In Romans 13 and in verse 11, Paul says this. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We're going into battle. Verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Paul talks here about being sober-minded because we're fixing to go into a battle. Being alert. Being on guard. He talks here about how we cannot allow anything to enter into our mind and cloud it as we are warring against the devil and warring against sin. And yet the fact of the matter is, boredom does cloud our minds. It does cloud our judgment. That kind of haze and fog of sleepiness and apathy toward everything. That's the exact opposite of the alertness and the vigilance that Paul and Peter and others in the New Testament are calling for. Which is why I will say that we need to treat boredom kind of in the same way that we would treat those big yellow signs on the road that say caution or danger ahead. Because whenever we are bored, that ought to alert us that we might be close to sin. Which maybe would lead me secondly to say something as well about how boredom... Boredom just leads to a lot of wasted time. I appreciate Kent leading that song a couple of moments ago, Work for the Night is Coming. That's a song about being productive, being useful with our time. There's actually that line in the second verse that says, Give every flying minute something to keep in store. That's based on biblical precepts. You know that? Look in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at what Paul says here about time and about our use of time. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 15, Paul says there, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Has this ever happened to you before, where maybe you have your your day off work, maybe that's Saturday for you, or... Monday is the day for me. And maybe that's your day off and you've got plans to maybe go out and do something with the family. You've got plans to maybe do something outside, but it's kind of a rainy, dreary, overcast day, maybe kind of the way that it was yesterday. And so all those plans kind of go up in smoke and so, okay, I've got the day. I'm just kind of stuck here at the house. What can I do? Oh, i got an idea. I'll, I'll clean out my inbox and my email. All right, so I get on my email. I've got hundreds of emails I need to clear out and work through. And as I'm going through all of those, eh, lots of it is junk and I'm able to trash it and spam it pretty quickly. But here's a link that somebody sent me. I'm going to click on that. Clicks over to YouTube. You watch this funny video that your friend sent you and it's pretty fun watching cats do stupid and silly things. And when you get to the end of that video, what does YouTube do? Well, YouTube 
suggest another video for you to watch. In fact, some of the YouTube players actually would just start playing the next video immediately afterwards. And before you know it, you've sat there and watched 36 funny cat videos, followed by all kinds of other goofy, hilarious videos of people doing foolish and ridiculous things, and you look down at your watch, and lo and behold, you've wasted an hour and a half. Now, you haven't done anything sinful, but you haven't accomplished anything at all. You didn't redeem the time, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. You didn't use your time wisely. And that is a huge danger when we talk about boredom. That instead of countering our boredom with productivity, what happens is is we end up engaging our lives in even less productivity. We involve ourselves with things that are often very mindless and trivial. Whether that is frying our brain with video games or burying our nose in a cell phone or in a tablet. Anything that will momentarily distract from the mundane and boring pace of life. Stop and think about this. Answer this honestly. Who here, whenever they've been bored, has said to themselves, I'm going to get my Bible out. I'm going to read my Bible. Man, I'm really bored right now. I'm going to read the Word of God. I need to get caught up on my daily Bible reading. I'm not just going to read one chapter. I'm going to see if I can read four or five chapters. How many of us do that? I shamefully am going to lower my hand because I do not. When we're bored, what do we say? We say, I don't feel like doing anything. I don't feel like reading my Bible right now because I'm so bored. And so instead, we pull out the clicker and we start just... We just start putt-putting through all those channels on our satellite dish. Or if you've got one of those streaming services, we're just putt-putting through all the television shows and all the movies that are offered. I can't tell you how many days I've sat and not watched a single show, but just sat for several minutes just putt-putt-putt-putt-putt-putt-putt right through all the shows, just looking at them. And we do that. Or maybe we do that Internet thing where we bury our nose in Facebook and it's got that news feed that goes on and on. And and it never comes to an end. I've tried to get to the end. It doesn't end. It keeps going and going and going. And we haven't done anything except waste time. The wise man says something about that. Would you find the wisdom literature again? Look in Proverbs 19. In Proverbs 19, the word that Solomon uses most often to describe that is the word laziness. In Proverbs 19, I'm reading here in verse 24. Proverbs 19, verse 24. I actually have this verse starred in my Bible because I think it's such a... It it makes me laugh every time that I read it. Proverbs 19, verse 24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and he will not even bring it back to his mouth. Wow, that's pretty lazy, isn't it? Look across the page, chapter 20 of Proverbs. Look in verse 4. Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at the harvest and have nothing. The Josh McKibben South Central Kentucky translation reads, The sluggard won't quit wasting time on Facebook to get done what matters most. We understand the points that are being made there, don't we? All too often when we are bored, we end up just burning through those precious, valuable minutes that God has given to us by doing things that are meaningless, by doing things that are time-consuming. And when all of that is said and done, the boredom is still there. And we've accomplished not one good thing. When we start with the I'm so bored song and dance, 
Look out. Danger. Caution. Because there might be troubles not far behind. And the danger doesn't end there because I would suggest to you thirdly that boredom, probably the biggest problem with boredom, is that boredom shifts the focus to self. It puts the focus on me. I'm always amazed when people say, I'm bored. As if that ought to mean something to me. Like they need me to immediately take some kind of action for them so that they'll not be bored. I'm so bored. Well, oh my! Heaven forbid! Please let me do something to entertain you so that you're not bored anymore. What am I supposed to say? People particularly say that about the activity that we are engaged in right now here in this building. They say that about worship and about church. Ah, church is so boring. It is. That's the reason I don't go. It's just so boring. I'd rather sit and watch paint dry than to go and sit through a church service. It just bores me to tears. As if somehow we as the church are supposed to reply to that by saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that we didn't entertain you, that we didn't stimulate you. Please, let's let's bring in a dancing bear. Let me do some magic tricks for you. Anything so that you'll not be bored as we worship. Whatever it takes. It seems as if that's what people are willing to do so that they're not bored. But let me tell you something about church and worship. It's not about you. I'll take that even a step further. Life in general is not about you. Are you still here in the wisdom literature? Go back to Ecclesiastes again. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon tried all kinds of things to find meaning and purpose in his life. We noticed that back in chapter 2. And he got bored with all of it. I tried it and tried it and he didn't really produce anything. Finally, near the end of this grand experiment, he comes to the realization as to what life really is all about. That's Ecclesiastes 12 and in verse 13. Ecclesiastes 12 and in verse 13. The end of the matter. After all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments. For this, this is the whole duty of man. Life is not about you. Life is not about how you feel. It's about... God. It's about serving the God of heaven. And all too often when we get bored, we just forget about that. And we end up using our feelings as an excuse to to focus on self. Almost kind of throw ourselves a pity party. Well, this is what I want. Or this is what I need right now. I don't want to feel this way. People announce their boredom to others as if that somehow means that they are the king or the queen and everybody's supposed to be doing something for them. God's Word says, think again. Get the spotlight off of yourself and turn that spotlight upward and point it back upon the God of heaven. In fact, there was a fellow who wrote a whole book about boredom and about the effect that that has upon people. He said this. He said, one of the reasons why boredom has become so common in our world is because we've become too preoccupied with looking after ourselves, making sure that our own needs are met, And to put quite bluntly, we've become too selfish. Selfish. How many of us have ever thought of boredom in that way? That boredom is just selfishness in disguise. Boredom is a warning sign that you might be living for self when you ought to be living for God. So somebody says, okay, Josh, 
Those are three legitimate dangers, and I, I see that. Thank you for pointing those things out. What can we do about that? The last thing I want is for boredom to kind of take hold and cause me to not be the kind of Christian that I ought to be. What can be done about that? Well, I'm glad that you would ask. And I want to give you three helps from the Scriptures that I think helps us to deal and battle against boredom in our lives. Let's just start that. That we can treat boredom when we begin with our own expectations. When we begin by adjusting our expectations about life. This is a critically important step. You know, if you were to go to a baseball game this summer and you expected to see Tiger Woods hit a hole-in-one, I don't care how good the game is. I don't care how much of a positive mental attitude you have about that. I don't care how good your seats are at that. If you show up at a baseball game expecting to see golf, you're going to be seriously let down. Your expectations are not correct and properly aligned. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you show up in life expecting that life is going to be non-stop thrills, the way that it's depicted upon television, that life's just going to be constant entertainment and excitement and fun and everything's just an emotional high, then you're going to be seriously disappointed. Because there is no indication in Scripture whatsoever that God intended for life to be non-stop thrills and excitement and constant stimulation. Look with me in Genesis chapter 2. Go back to the very beginning. Because this is the way that it's been since the start. In Genesis chapter 2, I leaned upon these passages a couple of Sunday nights ago when I talked about the Sabbath and the principle of the Sabbath for us today. In Genesis chapter 2, we read here about the first two humans on planet earth. What was God's expectations for Adam and Eve in the garden? Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and gave him a big screen TV and a smartphone and all kinds of fun stuff. Is that what your Bible says? The Lord God put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Somebody says, whoa, wait a minute. I thought they were in the garden of paradise. Yes, they were. And yet nothing is said there about entertainment and fun and stimulation. In fact, the idea of working in the garden, that doesn't sound very exhilarating at all, does it? But you know what? There's a lot of things in life that are important and are necessary, like like doing your job or like raising your kids, or serving others, or worshiping the Lord. Things that are activities that are not designed to be fun or thrilling necessarily. And I'm saying to you this morning that just because something is not necessarily stimulating and fun doesn't mean it's not needful. Have any of you ever seen this quotation before? I apologize in advance if someone has this crocheted hanging on their walls. This is the kind of thing that you see on Pinterest or the kind of things that get shared around on Facebook. One of these little quotes that sounds really good. The quote is this, Life life isn't measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Wow. Doesn't that just sound great? That sounds like that ought to be a tagline for like a skydiving company or maybe for a whitewater rafting company. Life is about the moments that... Take your breath away. Wow! False. That's not biblical. 
Life is measured, life is figured by how we respond to the challenge of day-to-day living in service to the Lord. Life is about doing what God requires of us as we serve our families, as we serve our brethren, as we serve our fellow man. And listen to me, even when that service doesn't take our breath away. Can anyone really imagine an elderly woman who says, you know what, I'm not going to go down to the nursing home today and visit my husband of the last 58 years because, well, because that doesn't take my breath away. That's not exciting. Can we imagine someone saying, you know what, I'm not going to go to work this week because going to work, building houses, doing electrical work, whatever it is that I do for a living, that doesn't take my breath away. That kind of thinking is absolute nonsense. Because it gives the impression that our expectations for life should all be based upon breathtaking moments. The truth of the matter is, if you are measuring life in that way, then friend, you are measuring it by the wrong ruler. That's what Solomon had to learn in Ecclesiastes. That you can't live life in that way. You and I need to learn that same lesson as well. Need to get a grip on boredom whenever we develop some realistic expectations for our life, that would then lead me to this second idea. That boredom can be worked away whenever we resolve that we're going to just do everything heartily. That everything that we do in life, we're going to do that heartily. The verse I'm looking for is in Colossians, please. In Colossians 3. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, and I really want you to think about this. Paul says these words to people who are in slavery. I don't know everything about slavery in New Testament times. But if I had to guess, it probably wasn't very fun. It probably wasn't really exhilarating. It probably wasn't breathtaking. And yet listen to what he says to those people who worked as slaves. In Colossians 3, I'm reading here beginning in verse 22. In Colossians 3 verse 22, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I said a moment ago, being a slave doesn't sound very exciting, doesn't sound very interesting to me, and yet Paul says, work heartily. And I want to suggest to you this morning that boredom does not stand a chance in any area of life when you're doing things heartily, full steam ahead. I'm giving 100% in this endeavor in my life. Now, that of course is the polar opposite of what boredom says. Boredom says, oh, let's just, let's just not do it. And you know what? Even if we have to do it, well, let's just kind of do it halfway. Let's do it kind of slovenly. Let's just slop along. Who cares? Meh, whatever. Paul says Christians have none of that. People who are guided by Jesus Christ, we have none of that attitude. That's not how we operate. Because what we're doing, it's not going to be judged by men. That's not our concern. Our concern is that we will be judged and we will answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You stop and think about that. Stop and think about that. The next time that you get bored at work, 
that Jesus Christ is the one signing your paycheck. Jesus Christ is your boss. That when you go to punch out each day, that the Lord would maybe be standing there by the time clock ready to say, Hey, how'd you do today? Did you work hard? Did you work hard for me? Young people, when you go back to school, I know it's really early to be thinking about going back to school, but when school starts back up in the fall, what's your attitude about school? I'm so bored by that. What would Jesus say about that? What if Jesus was your teacher? What if Jesus is the one who's handing out the report cards at the end of the semester? What if Jesus is the one asking, hey, what kind of effort did you put forth for me while you was there in the classroom? When you were doing your schoolwork, when you were doing your studies? Genuine disciples are the people who do all that they can at the very best level that they can because Jesus Christ deserves it. I could borrow one more time from the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9, in Ecclesiastes 9 and in verse 10, he says in Ecclesiastes 9 and in verse 10, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. When we're committed to doing things heartily, when we have an attitude that I'm going to do this with all my might, that transforms my attitude about the things that I might often be inclined to consider boring. Finally then, I do think that we need to come to grips with something that probably is going to sound offensive to you when I say this. But it may be the reason that I am bored is not because life is boring. It may be, it may be because I'm boring. You're boring. I realize that that may not sit well with you, but it is absolutely possible. I need to recognize that many times boredom takes over, and I am the reason for that. With me in Acts the 17th chapter, please. In Acts 17, I'll show you what I think is a good illustration of this. In Acts 17, this is a biblical account of some people who I am convinced they found life boring. In Acts chapter 17, I'm talking here about the Athenians. And we're told about these people in verse 21, Acts 17, verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, they would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. I think that verse could be written of many of us today, couldn't it? These people were searching for a distraction constantly. They were always looking for something that was new. Some new thing that would gauge and grasp their interest. But yes, the problem is not that they were living in a place where things weren't interesting. They lived in Athens. That was probably one of the most interesting places in the whole world at that point in time. The center of culture. The problem was not that where they lived and the things around them weren't interesting. The problem was they weren't interesting. And sometimes the truth is, painfully, the reason we are bored is because we are boring. We're not involved in anything. We're not interested in anything. We're not up and doing anything. Sometimes our recreation choices, they do not recreate us. That's the root of the word recreation. They don't recreate us because whenever we pursue those recreation choices, we're not really putting anything in. Instead, we're just just consuming. We watch TV. We listen to music. We browse through the internet. 
we take and take and take, our recreation choices don't then provoke us to get up and do something ourselves. We're just idle spectators. And we just contribute, we just contribute nothing. And I'm here to say to you this morning that if you do that long enough, then yeah, your life will be boring. And it'll be because you are boring. Can I say right here to parents, fellow moms and dads, this is where we really need to help our kids. We need to help our children see that, that they need to get up and they need to get involved in life. When they start with all the I'm so bored talk, and I'm fully expecting some of that this summer, what we need to do is we need to ask them, well, hey, what, what are you doing about that? If you're so bored, what are you doing to fix that? What are you doing to be interesting? What are you doing to get up and to do some activity, be involved in something? How are you serving? That's a way to keep from being bored. What are you doing productive? Could you read your Bible? Could you pray? Could you get up and do something in this community? Are you looking for opportunities? How can you contribute to this family, to this society, to this world in a meaningful way? Get up and do something. Go outside. If nothing else, stand outside and just marvel at the beauty and the wonder of God's creation. Go serve a person who is in need of a helping hand. Go encourage somebody who needs a pick-me-up and needs a boost. Stop making a bunch of excuses as to why you can't. and Start doing what you can. Do something. Don't give in to boredom. Instead, we want to address that as being a problem of the heart. You know those dangers that we talked about here at the beginning of the lesson? That may be a warning. It may be a warning that there is something wrong in how you are going about living your life. Maybe that's where we need to start is by looking inside. Let me close this morning with a parable. This is not a Bible parable, but it is very Jesus-like to do some teaching in parabolic form. So let me tell you a parable this morning. This is the parable of the bored life. And the parable goes like this. There once was a boy named Timmy. And most of the time, Timmy was bored. As a kid, he seemed to care little for the things that were around him. and seemed to care even less for the people that were around him. Timmy's mom would often send him out to play, but he would be bored. He didn't explore. He didn't imagine. He didn't look up at the birds in the clouds. He didn't look down at the caterpillars and the spiders. At school, all his mind thought about was play. And at play, all he could think about was all the things he didn't have. Eventually, Timmy became an adult, and he carried his boredom with him. At his job, he could only think about play. And when he wasn't working and out trying to have fun, all he could think about was all the things he didn't have. On his way home from work, he never looked at the clouds in the sky. He would often pay no attention to the beautiful sunrises. He would shrug at the sunsets. Timmy yawned his way through childhood, through school, through work, through family, and through friends. And Timmy yawned through life all the way right on into death. Let the hearer understand the meaning of the parable. Timmy had no sense of wonder whatsoever. Timmy squandered a precious gift from God, the gift of life, the gift of imagination. He cared little for God's gift of creation. Timmy and his boredom, though, is not just a parable. And unfortunately, Timmy is not alone. 
You know, the fact of the matter is, everyone at some point or another is going to be a little bored. You sit in a doctor's office for a couple of hours waiting for them to call your name and all you've got are a couple of, I don't know, 400-year-old magazines sitting there in the doctor's lobby. Yeah, you're, you're probably going to get bored. I understand about that. But if perpetually and regularly you find life in general to just be a bore like Timmy in the parable, then you'd better snap out of that. Because boredom can lead to sin. Boredom can lead to selfishness. And it can create a very ugly and very destructive problem within our hearts. Let's make sure that we're not just living, treading water aimlessly every day, but instead let's make certain that we are purposefully and intentionally and heartily serving the Lord as we live here upon this earth. When we do that, I think what we'll find is we'll find that life is actually very rich and very full and it is most certainly not boring. Now if you're using a songbook, you can be getting that songbook out and be turning it to number 344. We're going to be singing that as a song of encouragement here in just a moment to invite you, to encourage you to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will tell you this. The moment that a person becomes a Christian, it's anything but boring. It's exciting. It's exciting for everybody as we watch and observe that. It was exciting for me this past week to get to immerse a young man into Christ. The thrill of that, of seeing someone pass from sin and darkness into life, to being in the Lord. That is exciting and it is amazing. But I'll not lie to you this morning and tell to you that the Christian life is all big highs, mountaintop moments, and it's exciting all the time, and man, it's just go, 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 go. It's not. There'll be some lulls. There'll even be some downtime. But the wonder of being a Christian is that we have the opportunity to serve Jesus Christ. And in that, we find all the fulfillment and all the meaning and all the purpose that we could ever want in life. Can we help you this morning to become a Christian? To confess your faith in Jesus as Lord, to repent and turn from sin, and to be buried with Him in the waters of baptism. All things are ready for that to happen today. If you are a Christian, but you've not been serving the Lord as you ought, maybe some of the things that we've talked about today have struck a nerve and you've realized that you're not being the kind of disciple that you should be. Brother or sister, repent. Ask God for forgiveness. If we can encourage you and assist you so that you can serve Jesus in a better way, we're ready to do that as well. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to make that known by coming to the front. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.